So the last few weeks, we have been doing a series called Bridging uh, the Gaps. And, the, and we have looked at bridging the gaps of culture. And we are going to be looking at today the generational gap. So as I put this together, there's a few things that I, there, the points I have are not really points. They're questions to get you to think, but also I hope to give you an answer to that, those questions as we go through this message. One of the first things that I thought of is, as I, I've said before, I like to ask myself questions to help me process things when I'm writing or reading or I've read something. And one of the first questions that I found myself is asking, how can we as a church fill in the gaps that have occurred over time in churches. And today, as we're talking about generational gap, what I mean is, I believe one reason that there's been gaps in the church is because there's been, unfortunately, an unwillingness sometimes to change and let go of things that don't matter in God's kingdom. And we, you know, we have all been at a point in our lives where we just want things to happen our way. And we want things done the same way that we've done because sometimes you get familiar with something that you, to change that just seems crazy. But then there's also others that comes in that says out with the old and in with the new. So there's more than one way of looking at it. And, you know, a lot of times what happens when you have that mindset is that causes, that can cause division because you're not taking in what the people actually want or think or would like to see happen. Instead, what you're doing is you're coming in with your ideas and you just change everything without any consideration for the people that you are supposed to be shepherding. And so a lot of times we see uh, divides that happens in churches because sometimes it's between generations where one generation likes things the same way and the other one wants to change with their culture. Now, sometimes it's not necessarily a bad thing. The problem becomes when the change that you try to make is to be more like the worldly culture and less like God. So when you bring in things that you see is, being, is happening outside the church that you think, man, that would be good to do in the church, but it's not really biblical, biblical that's when you have a problem. And the church is filled with traditions. And traditions are not a bad thing. But when traditions takes priority over God, then it becomes a problem. When we value our traditions more than the, then adapting to our communities and changing with our community. What that means is when we say it has, service has to happen a specific way, we're not going to change how we do our music. We're not going to change how we do our preaching. We're not going to change how we, do, how we put our seatings. We're not going to do any of that. People come in, they just have, they're just going to have to adapt and accept that that's how we do things. That one way, that's how it has to be thing mindset. But that's not how it works. What that does is saying is that's the only way that God does things. But that's really not true. That's not how God does things. 
I can bet 100% that my experience in coming to Christ is different than each and every single one of you. And if you think back to how you came to know Christ, you'll realize that each of us has a, have had a different encounter with Jesus. So to say that there's only one way is just absurd. My coming to Jesus did not happen because somebody preached a message. It happened in a time of worship. That's my experience in coming to Christ. What that was for me was me surrendering myself before God in worship and allowing him to humble me. And in that moment, I gave my heart to Christ. But for some people, it was a preacher preached the message and they felt called to come to the front and they did and they gave their hearts to Christ and their lives were changed. So everybody's experience is different in how they came to know Jesus. For some people, it happens earlier, early on in their lives and for some people, it happens later on in their lives. So how can we say there's only one way for God to reach people? And so if we look at the different, there are different types of churches. We have contemporary services and you have traditional services. The problem is most of the time when you do traditional and contemporary, it's because if you, more often than not, if you try to merge the two together, the people that like traditional are not happy with that. And so you have a problem. And I say that because I've seen it happen before where people have problems with bringing in traditional or in contemporary together. And I've been in a setting where we had a, a contemporary service and a traditional service where it was expected that you would have the piano playing the, the hymns. Thankfully, I was allowed to play, my, I was able to play my guitar because, but in a tr typical traditional service, that was basically what it was. You know, you had the piano, you had somebody on the piano, and then you had the singer. If you added anything else, people had problems with it. And I can remember where we did songs at the beginning of service, before, just kind of like an opening, and we did, and it was, they were actually hymns, but we did them as a band, and people had problems with that. Because we hold on to a certain mindset of that's how things has to be done, and so we don't really adapt to the changes that our culture has had, or even in the church. There are people with different gifts, different talents, and so to say that basically this is how it has to be done, then what are you saying to the people that are gifted in these different areas, or especially musically, that can offer something to, the, to what you're doing? No, we can't use you because we have to have it this way. So you're pushing out people that God has placed within your midst that he's gifted for more. See, interestingly enough, it, it, what tends to happen sometimes when you have two different types of service, and I'm not saying that having different types of service is a bad thing because there are people that especially if they've never been in church, the contemporary setting just connects more with them than a traditional ser service or even a mixture. Because they didn't grow up in church, they're not looking to, uh, for, for, for the hymns that we maybe have grown up on, but they're looking for something that will connect with them 
that's up to, up to date. Now, that doesn't mean that the Bible has to change. That doesn't mean the preaching and the gospel has to change. It just means that we adapt a little bit in terms of how we reach people. See, I've been in church pretty much all my life from the, from the time I was born to this point. And so sometimes I have to force myself to think of how would somebody who's never been in church feel if they walked in a building and they just saw, you know, things so rigid. That's the best way I can think of putting it. It's rigid because then what you're doing is you're putting a limit on the things that God can do. I've said before that, you know, I'm not the best fan of doing traditional hymns, but that doesn't mean that there aren't hymns that I enjoy. For me, it's more so, I love it when we take the hymns and then you add a chorus to it and kind of give it a contemporary feel, but you don't change the words. It is still the same song, but then you're adding something newer to it that gives it a newer feel because then it connects with the new generation in a way that it probably didn't before. Because you're putting, you're saying, you're taking the time to actually think of the future, to think of those that are coming in and coming out of your service. See, the words still remain the same, and they're not, and the meanings of those songs are not lost. But it brings a new appreciation for the song. Now, we're going to be spending our time, first of all, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2. That's where we'll be focusing. It's uh, Ephesians 2, verse 19 through 22. Now, as I said, there are different types of services, and sometimes it's a good thing, but sometimes I can't help but wonder how often we choose to, uh, to cater to specific people and then end up excluding others. See, I've been in several different types of services, and especially my, one of my favorites is when you do combined services. And uh, one of those experiences where we had, a, we had a Spanish service and we had an English service in two different denominations, and we did a combined service together. And what we did was we actually got together and we practiced the songs both in English and in Spanish. And it was such a great experience because at the time I was leading worship and I enjoyed every bit of it, being able to lead both in English and in Spanish. It was so cool. And one of the things I also enjoy is I would also go to their services sometimes and I loved it because there's this level of energy that you just don't always find in an English-speaking church because they're not afraid to be expressive. And I like that. Like, you'll have people with, little, with those uh, little tambourines just having a blast and having fun being in God's presence. Whereas, we're, unfortunately, sometimes when you come in an English church, you know, a lot of times people just kind of stand there 
you might get a smile out of a few people, maybe. But not always. You might get some people to join in as you're clapping, but not always. It's like we've forgotten what it feels to be joyful in the presence of God. And we can learn from our brothers and sisters what it looks like to be joyful in the presence of God when we praise Him. Because when you're singing together, it's not necessarily about you. Yes, you're listening to the person leading you in worship, but it is a moment where you're connecting with Christ. So everybody else that's next to you, doesn't, it doesn't really matter because this is you between you and the Father. This is you coming before Him, remembering what He's done for you, just waking you up this morning, driving here safely, those are all worthy of joyful praise. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, everybody's going to all of a sudden start jumping around and throwing their hands up, screaming, and, you know, just shouting in joy. But can you imagine how different of an atmosphere it would be and how it would feel like to walk into this building with a, joy, a certain level of joy knowing that you're in the presence of God? From the moment you walk through those doors that you can't help but be excited just being with your brothers and sisters, knowing that, hey, we're about to worship together. We're about to spend time in God's presence. And let's make it something that we won't forget. Yes, we'll do, and do it again. But make it something that we'll never forget. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 19, tells us, so now your Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy people for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now, this, pa this passage here is going to be our main passage for the series of Bridging the Gaps. And the reason for that is because it reminds us, first off, who Jesus is, that he is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of our faith. But second, that the unity that we can have together is because of that cornerstone that we have in Jesus. And so the only way that we can bring the only things or person that can bring generations together is Christ. The only one that can bring a culture together is Christ. We try, but we all have different preferences, and that's okay. You know, I... I didn't realize there have been so many. I mean, I knew there were different generations, but I didn't realize just how many different generations had been named before, you know, baby boomers. I didn't realize there was one called the greatest generation, which, yeah, I know, right? It's very up there, but that's just my personal opinion. But then there was a silent generation, and after that came the boomers, Gen X, and then the millennials, because we got to be different. And then... 
and then Generation Z and Generation Alpha. Yeah, those are both my kids are Generation Alpha, so that's the, yeah. But the reason I bring those up is I find them interesting because while, you know, they define a generation, but at the same time, they become stereotypes. And uh, personally, I'm not a big fan of stereotypes because they're those are basically umbrella terms where you just place, you use them to define people or a group of people under something. And there's a lot of stigma underneath each generation. Millennial gets a lot of them, and then millennials pick on boomers, and then they pick on Gen Zs. Gen Z picks on all the other previous generations. It's just, to me, it's just straight up dumb, but that's my own personal opinion of that. But what I find is that these types of stereotypes, what they do is they characterize people. And so when you have somebody from a specific generation that makes a mistake, people links, they link that mistake with that whole generation as if that whole generation acts that way, which again is just dumb because then you're taking away people's individuality and who they are as a person. And I don't see how that's ex become acceptable or should ever be acceptable. But too often, we use these terms, these generational terms, to talk about others just because we've seen a few people do something. See, in the books of Acts 2, when, Jesus, when uh, Peter stands up and speaks to the people and talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he quotes a passage from the book of Joel telling them how this, basically this was a prophecy being fulfilled that day. What he tells them is that he had said that Jesus or God had spoken to, through Joel and basically said, I will send my spirit, I will pour it out on all people. I don't know about you, but the word all leaves no room for exclusion. When he says all people, he means every single person. But then, you know, he figured... For those that might not quite accept it, then he goes and says, For your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In order to experience that spirit, we have to accept the salvation that comes through Jesus. And as I was thinking through this, I was reminded of the story of Abraham, of his walk, where Jesus called him to, or God called him to go, to leave his people and go to a place that he will show him. And that's all the information he was given. Pack your stuff, take your family, and start walking, and I'll show you where you're, where you're going to go. Now, and he did exactly that. He packed his stuff, picked it up, and, and just started walking in the direction that God said to go until God told him the, where he was going to have him. 
But what happens was when God finally told him what the promise he had for him was, he was going to be a father of many nations. But he didn't have any kids. So then he wondered, well, God, how am I going to father many nations if I have no children? But then God said, don't worry about that. I can make that happen. And he did. Then he had a son. Now, here's the thing, though. He didn't have that. God promised him this. But he didn't see that promise of a son until about 20 or 24 or 5, 25 years later. So my first, the first question I have, I thought of asking is, would you continue to serve and follow if you knew that you'd never see the promise? Would you continue to be faithful to God if you knew that you wouldn't necessarily be the one that sees the promise? We don't think about it. But sometimes God gives us something, not necessarily for ourselves, but it's something that our children will get to live and experience. So he would become the father of many nations, and God told him this is the land that you would have. But he didn't get to see that land. His son didn't get to see it. His grandson didn't get to see it. It was his children's children later, way down the road, that got to actually step foot in the promised land. Sometimes God gives you something that's not just for now, but it's for the generations that comes after. And that's what he did. He trusted in God's promise, and he, by being faithful to what God had told him to do and following through and going and basically stepping away from whatever his family was doing, he followed God to what God had for him, for his family then, and the ones that came after. As we follow Jesus, he will give us things or show us things or do things in our lives that changes us. But the change is not just for us because it affects our families as well. And then we have to think about how that, how we, how that change that affects our family is going to affect their children in the future. Because sometimes what we don't realize is that the choices that we make, while it may not seem a big deal now, they do have effect because then we have our children that are watching the things that we do. And so when we walk in a way that pleases God, God sees that and our kids sees that. Now, I'm not saying that the, our kids don't have a choice because they do have a choice. At the end of the day, they choose for themselves if they're going to follow God or not. But we don't stop living out our faith in front of them because we want the generations that comes after to know just how good God is. The second question you know, that I have is another simple one. What are some things that have become tradition over time in the church? Can anybody think of a few things that's become tradition in the church? Prayer. Prayer. Any others? Giving. Yeah. Goodness, all the answers are coming from this side. Anybody on this side? <laughs> Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's true. There was, there were those kind of expectations of how you dress. Heck, me dressed like this would have been back then a no-no as a pastor. So it just goes to show you just how different things are now. Now, but there's so many things that became traditions that they you can't prove in scripture where it says those things. And so what ends up happening is, like you said, where it turns off people from being able to, from wanting to be in, in church, which is sad because it goes two ways. It's sad that that would turn somebody from coming to church, but it's sad that we would allow our own personal views to deter somebody from coming to church. But we don't always know that because... Unfortunately, people don't always communicate that with you. Like, when you say something that hurts somebody, more often than not, they don't always come and say, hey, that was hurtful. If it, they walk away, and then you never hear from them again, and you can't figure out what happened. When it was as simple as you could have easily resolved that by just having a conversation with me and just being two grown-ups, and we talk about what happened. One of the things that I was thinking of is uh, this church has its own history. You know, I don't know the full history, but I know it wasn't always connected to the Wesleyan church. And it wasn't until, what, eight, eight, about eight years ago where it was first the Church of the Jordan, and then it became Crosstown Fellowship. But even during that time, there's been a lot of transitions that have happened. You know, there's been hurts, there's been pains, there's been joy, sorrow, but all these things, through it all, God has been faithful to this church. And then I started to kind of think on that and connecting that with the story of Abraham and his promise, and I realized that his faith led to more than just Isaac. And then I thought about Ours, as this church, as those that have been faithful to this church has led to this church still being where it is today because they continue to be a part of it. They continue to show up, continue to be involved in things and just pushing forward. See, God gave this to, I don't know who the original pastor was, but he gave it to them as a, a vision to place this church here, to be a light in this community. And we have continued to do that even through transitions, even through the hurts and pains that this church has experienced. And we have continued to be faithful with what God has given us. See, the faith of the older generation benefited the following ones. What would have happened if Abraham had basically said no when God told him to pack up? And walk away and go. First off, he would not have become a father of many nations. And he certainly wouldn't have experienced having an heir born to his family. Because when God gave him that promise, he was in his late 70s. So you can imagine being told that you, you're going to have a child 
at that age, but then you have to wait until 20-something years later to see it. At that point, he's, in his, he's 100. <laughs> but it's the truth. Like, it, it, just think about that for a second, how much faith it took to stay on the journey that God had placed them and how much faith it takes to stay on the journey that God has placed His church on. The journey to reach out to our community and not be afraid to connect with people and preach the gospel. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, verse 1-3, through 3, Paul speaks to Timothy about how to speak and how to uh, address people and talk to his elders and all these different things. And one of the th- first thing he says is, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully. <laughs> as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat, you know, treat, your, treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. And then take care of any widows who has, anyone, who has no one else to take care of her. I'm going I'm, I'm to stop right there and kind of go through that one again. Respect is a big problem in our society today. People don't know how to talk to people without being disrespectful a lot of times. People don't know how to address people without saying things that a lot of times you can't take back. We don't always stop to think about the things that we say and how it's going to affect people. And so Paul, now Timothy is a leader here, and he's telling him, and this is not just for leaders, but it's for everyone. When you talk to somebody that is older than you, that has more experience than you, be respectful. It doesn't matter if, if they deserve it or not, because you're not doing it to please them. You're doing it because that's God wants for you. Don't do it. But he says to appeal to them respectfully like you would your own father. Now, I think this is also where a lot of people have problems. Because a lot of times if you don't have respect for your own father, it's difficult to show respect to people that are older than you. And if you grew up without a father in the mix, then it's very hard to uh, show that respect. child. But if you don't know or have experience being, and you haven't been taught respect, then it's difficult to show respect to others. But it tells you also how to talk to people that are younger than you, to treat them like your own brothers. To treat them the same way that you would treat your brothers. Now, you could look at this two ways, because I grew up with two brothers, and we fought a lot, so... I don't think that's what he's saying here. You know, you fight with them all the time. But the more, the older we got, the closer we became. And so he's talking more so in terms of how much you love your brother despite disagreements. 
How much you love your brother despite the things that, you know, the usual things. Like, my brother's probably got into fights over some of the stupidest things. But it didn't change the fact that I love him. And I would do anything for them. And I would go to the bat for them. And I would stand up for them. I would do all these things. So when we treat others in that same manner, what we're saying is, I love you and I value you enough that I'm willing to stand up for you when somebody wrongs you. I'm willing to be the one that stands in your corner when nobody else is. I'm willing to be side by side with you when you're going through your ups and through your downs. And you can come to me when you're dealing with stuff. That's the kind of relationship he's trying to get us to understand. But then he tells us to treat older women as you would your mothers. And it's the same thing. If you grew up not respecting your mom, you're not going to know how to show respect to others. And I can tell you, if I ever showed disrespect to my mother, she's a feisty woman. She would not take that. So disrespect was not a thing that you see in our, in our household. But it's the same thing with my father. They showed me how to love, but they showed me how to be respectful to others. They showed me what it, how to treat others by watching them and how they would treat other people. See, it, it's not just that you have to do it at home, but you also have to do it outside too to other people. You can't say, I'm going to respect everyone, and then you act one way when you're home, and then when you're out in public, so you're shouting at people in, in the grocery store, or you're yelling at people for crossing you in traffic, or, you know, cussing them out, all these different things, and all the while your children are watching, they're going, that's not, who is this person? So that respect has to be all throughout everything you do. And he says to treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sister. And I think this one is very important. That we would treat younger ladies with respect. But he says with all purity as you would your sisters. Think about how you would view your sisters. And you don't want people to look down on your sister. You don't want people to think negative thoughts or do, do stupid things. You want them to be valued. It's one of the reasons why we have so much issues right now, especially with, the whole, with all the um, Roe v. Wade thing. Because the women for the longest time have not felt valued or seen or heard. Because we've not treated them in a way that showed them we valued them or loved them enough to care about what they're going through. So where does the church come in in all this? Exactly. Our job as a church, are supposed, we're supposed to be a light and love to all. We're supposed to show them those, those things, those respects, those values, and value them where they are and how they're walking and loving. But one of the things I was thinking of as I was putting this together is when you think of all these Roe versus Wade, the church fights. We choose to stand and fight for a lot of things. 
And it's, the, it's our choice to stand and fight for these things. We choose to fight against abortion, which is an injustice. But there are other injustices that happens as well. The problem is we, don't, we think of the now and not the future a lot of the time. We see the when as it is now, not how it affects the future. Because the wins that we see as victories, they affect the generation that comes after us. And so we have to think about how these things that we're fighting for, that we're showing we value, that we care for, how can we show the next generation why that's important? How can we show the next generation why we stand up against those things? Why we want to see something better? To stand against abortion is great. But then what do you do when you come across a family that's experienced abortion or, and you don't know how to approach it? What solutions are we offering to people to help them deal with the traumas that they experience that sometimes leads them to wanting to have abortions? We want results, we want the win, but we're not willing to get involved and do the work to help people. I know that's pretty heavy, and this kid is like going across and just staring me down right now. <laughs> but another thing that Timothy, uh, Paul talks to Timothy about is his, his faith. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 7, he says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gifts God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So this is something that it tells me that faith can be passed on from generation to generation. Just like a lot of other things can be passed on. You can, you can pass on love from generation to generation. And you can pass on hate from generation to generation. Mm. So what are you passing on to the next generation? What have we been taught by God, what has God done in our lives that is worthy of being passed on to the next generation? And that's a question for you to answer individually, for you to figure out for yourself. God has shown us mercy. He has taught us how to be merciful, so let us show the same mercy to others. And we can pass that on to other generations as well. Titus chapter 1, verse 1 through 6 tells us a little bit about what we can learn from one another. This is again Paul speaking. 
It says, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older man to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, do good, to be submissive to their husband. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. So Paul gives Titus and tells him what he's to teach the older men, the women, the younger men, and women. He tells them that we're there to exercise self-control. Can you think of, of examples of where self-control has not been utilized and how it's caused people to fall into sin? Because that's what happens when you don't exercise these things and you don't live in a way that honors God. And then to teach them to have sound faith, to be filled with love and patience. I believe that that is something that is missing today a lot. Or we've gotten to the point where it's not been so prevalent in our society that now we're seeing the effects of it. So many broken homes where there's only one parent because they, maybe the father grew up in a way or maybe they just chose not to be a part of their kid's life. Or maybe they had the opportunity, they made some bad choices. Rather than figuring out how to be a better father, they choose to leave. And it can go, to, it's not always the fathers, it can be the mothers too. There are situations where the mom leaves the father with the kids. So it goes both ways. And then what you have is you have families that needs, that needs help, that need something. And sometimes you end up with kids that need mentorship. Kids that need somebody in their lives that would say, basically correct and direct them or discipline them to show them what they're to do and what not to do. It's one of the reasons I, I enjoyed doing the, uh, mentorship because I had the opportunity to do so in a school, an elementary school, where I would go in and the teachers, of, it was a fifth grade class, and what they would do is they would pick one student from each class that either... Uh, had a really good week, and it's never the same kids, because it just never happened that way. And then there were kids in that group that just needed that extra mentorship. And then I would spend the lunchtime with them. We would sit. We would eat lunch together. We would just talk and get to know each other. And then we would just go to the basketball court and just play basketball together. So, and the kids loved that, because... And, First of all, they get out of class, which was nice, but at the same time, they get to spend time doing something that they enjoy, not having to worry about life, just being themselves. And I remember 
the first time that I went to the school to do this, and I was, we were sitting and talking to, I was talking to one of the kids, and just kind of getting to know them, and they were talking about how they're never seen their father because he was in, in jail. And, and I remember talking to him, and basically what he said, it was such a normal thing that it was just that. Like, my father's not a part of my life. I haven't seen him in so and so many years, and that was that. What we don't realize is that's the reality for a lot of kids. That they don't have those kind of mentorship or love-filled home from both sides of the family. And so then one parent has to play the role of both mother and father. And then we as a church, we have to also look at that. When we do ministries, like children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry, all these things, we have to re- remember like, it's not always going to be kids that have been in the church all their lives. You're going to have a kid that comes in that are dealing with a whole lot of stuff. You're going to have teens that come in that are dealing with a whole lot of stuff and they're just looking for an escape, looking for a place away from their problems and their troubles. And what you have is you have to be willing to be an open ear, but at the same time continue to share the gospel with them and remind them of why they're loved and that God loves them and cares about them. And it can be the same for adults as well, where we have so many things that have happened in our lives, and it affects the way we view relationships. It affects the way we view other people. Sometimes it creates a lack of trust for others. But then when we come to know Jesus and we place our hope and our faith in him, what that Jesus does is it begin, he begins to work in us to help us to trust again. He begins to show us what relationship is supposed to look like, not the broken relationships that we see today that are all over social media. You know, you don't often hear about how long somebody's marriage has lasted, but you hear a lot about how soon somebody's breakup has happened. That's the examples that our kids are seeing everywhere. That the good Things that happens in marriage, the lasting marriages don't get seen, but as soon as somebody breaks up, they see that. Because it's in their faces, it's all over social media, and they have access to all these social media outlets that you can't miss it. And so, then you have to think about how, again, what are we teaching, leaving the next generation and passing on? the value of marriage, the value of a love for God, the value of having relationships that matters, not just people that come in your circle because they want something, but the value of having friendships that matters and will last. The value of surrounding yourself with people that will encourage you, lift you up when you're down, but also tell you when you're making a mistake and when you're making bad choices. A lot of times, you know, people surround themselves with people that tell them what they want to hear, not necessarily what they need to hear. Showing them the value of what it looks like and what it means to worship the Father. 
what it means to live by faith and not by sight. These are the things that we are to pass on to the generations after us. So what will be the legacy of our church? What kind of church do we want to be? I can't help but ask that because I want to, you know, I, I will not be around forever. But I know that as long as I'm here, I will continue to do what God tells me to do and asks me to do. Will, our, will people remember us for the events that we've done or the care and love of God that we've shown to them through our actions? So we continue to fight for the things that matter to God because we want the generations after us to experience God's love and to stand on that faith and be able to continue to walk in that faith. So when we stand and fight for something, we have to make sure that we remember it's not just for us. We're fighting for our kids and their kids. When we stay faithful through something, we're doing it for our kids, not just for ourselves, but for their kids so that they would have something to tell their children and their children after them of how God has been faithful to us and how he's rewarded our faithfulness over and over and over again. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for every opportunity that you give us to worship you, to be in your presence, to be in your midst, to love you and to experience your love for us. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would help us to ask the questions of what we can leave for the ones we love. Because legacy is not always about leaving material things. Because money, that comes and goes. But you, God, you stay the same through it all because you matter. And you're the one who's given us life. You're the one who's given us breath to be able to be where we are today. And so, God, we thank you for that. We praise you. We praise you that you are sovereign, that you know all things, and you cared for us enough that you would send your son to die on the cross for us. Father, we just want to say, again, thank you. And we honor you, giving you praise and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, we pray. Amen. Have a, have a good week. Don't forget, ladies, there's Bible study next 